0: and welcome to yet another episode of songs you should know with Jimbo
1: And the mixter yes so how things are going down in branson branson is just fine today it's about 70 degrees and the old people are out and about <laughs> <laughs> and that ain't bad
0: well i tell you what it's it's not quite that warm in minnesota but it's it's pretty nice pretty nice right now so all right. Well, this episode is going to be songs from 1963. Three songs in particular that I picked out. And why 1963? Because it was my birth year.
1: Absolutely. So well, I get to choose, and uh, the next one you get to choose. That's right. And this, for for all you peeps out there. Uh, this month is my birthday month, and next month is Jimbo's birthday month. So <laughs> they'll
0: never know. They'll never know that though. You know, who knows when they're watching it. Or listening to it. Aha! Uh-huh. This whole thing that's where, uh, yep. Uh, boy you know my computer beeps? I don't know if you hear that, but uh, every so often, i okay. Well, that's good then. So we'll just pre- we'll just pretend that never happened. That's
1: right. All
0: right. Well, through. anyway, this uh, this episode is about songs from 1963, and we're gonna run through them real quick right here for you. <laughs> That's right. We've got She Loves You by the Beatles. We've got Louie Louie, in this case from the Kingsmen, the the one and only version that everybody recognizes, even though it's been recorded by probably everybody on earth. And then the Ronettes, Be My Baby. We're going to start things off with the Beatles here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That refrain captures the essence of uh, Beatlemania right from the beginning. And I think, um, it, even though it wasn't necessarily the the Beatles' biggest hit worldwide, it was their their biggest seller in the UK. And uh, this was the year before they actually, you know, broke big in the United States, or a little bit before anyway. But uh, that whole yeah, yeah, yeah refrain um, sort of caught everybody's consciousness. At least the teenage girls it
1: did. So. <laughs> do, you, do you remember uh the back behind the barn boys? I do remember because I actually uh worked with them. So Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think I, I remember in college, you know, they're a big country band, but I, I rem- remember them doing a cover of uh um doing a cover of this song If she loves you and I thought, Wow, that is wow. so cool that this country band really really
1: nailed that song. So well, I check that out. Yep, there's still uh are they still around? Well, they're still around. I'm not sure if they're still the the barn boys. Uh, you know, they've gone on to other things. They have, but they're still sure. They're still around. All right. Well, we have a
0: massive two minutes and eighteen seconds of rock and roll history here. Yep. And uh, it, it, the song has an interesting genesis. It was sort of a tour bus song. So the Beatles were on tour with Roy Orbison and Jerry and the Pacemakers. Can you believe what what a bill that was to? To catch them touring around uh, around England, um, that would just be a legendary show. Yeah, but uh, so they so, um, John and Paul started it on the tour bus, and then they got to the hotel room, and they kept working on it, and then they uh, they finished it up the next day at uh, Paul's home in Liverpool, and and I have to laugh because the story goes that when they finished the song up, they played it for Paul's dad. And Paul, Paul's dad, he wasn't too sure about all these Americanisms, all this yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, so the line was, couldn't you just say yes, yes, yes? Yeah.
1: You got to be proper. Come on, Dad. You got to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, Paul and John just laughing and saying, you just don't understand. You don't understand.
1: Yeah. That was the beginning uh, of their
0: censorship. They didn't even know it. So <laughs> um, have you ever looked into how some of these early songs
1: were actually recorded? Well, it was recorded uh, on July 1st, 1963. Uh, you were three months old. I, wa- I wasn't around. So it, uh, it, was, right. it was on a two-track recording machine and then mixed down on the 4th of July to mono uh, for the release. In January 64, they did a-, a version of the song in German, which I didn't know, re-recording the instruments and vocals. Uh, back down to a two track uh, they just mix down to mono. Uh, so thus we have wow so, <laughs> it's, well, it's see, not,
0: I've, I've heard, heard it, it pronounced a couple. I've, I've heard it pronounced a couple of different ways so yes, she loves you, but uh, in German. and you know this was at a time where okay, so they record in two tracks, they mix it down to mono. And then they wiped the two-track version. So when they came back to do a German version of it, they had to completely re-record it again. Right now, you know, they couldn't just yeah, use the yeah. instrument. They couldn't use the instruments from the first uh, recording. So they, they, they literally re- re-recorded it. Yep. Yeah. And so every every version you hear out there of "She Loves You" and um, "Oh, I Want to Hold Your Hand," I think too. They're all in mono. There, there are no two-track masters anymore. So they, they are mono. They have been mm, sort of pseudo done in stereo. They've, they've done some electronic tricks with some of the releases, but otherwise, right. um, you know, all, all the original single uh,
1: versions are just in mono. Right, and, and there's nothing else out there. With "She Loves You" is uh, the ones that I went back and listened to. There's always crowd noise. Is that the original wasn't like that, though, was it? No, no. I mean, there is a there is an actual sim uh, single version, but a lot of what you see
0: on YouTube and around comes from uh, all the Ed Sullivan appearances. Right. You know, the next year. Um, so th- those were so iconic; those recordings of it uh, that you you have that crowd crowd noise mixed in there from that from the shows and there are a lot of live versions from their from their early touring days that are out there all of which have the screaming going yeah. on on them you know well that was their that was their motto that was their right and of course the musicians well they at this point there was just john paul george and ringo and uh and the fifth of, of one of course <laughs> the fifth beetle yes yes the Probably the only one with a, the rightful claim to being the fifth Beatle, <laughs> which is
1: producer George Martin.
0: Uh, George passed away last year
1: last year last yep. year Sir George yeah. Martin he was yep. you know, um, you know people can say, well, yeah George martin, he was good, but he was uh, and we'll get into this probably later too, but he was the first one that figured out you could use a recording studio as an instrument as another you know sure. vehicle. Which, you know, and, and we'll, we'll,
0: sounds, you know? we'll see more in this this episode, too, that, um, you know, especially when we get to, like, uh, Be My Baby, Be my baby, where yeah. that whole idea of using the recording studio as an instrument. And, you know, which a lot of other musicians came along to, you know, the Absolutely. Beach Boys and well, Beach Jimi Beach Hendrix, even, you know, where the, the recording studio is an instrument. So... This song reached number one in the UK and it set a whole bunch of sales records and it was the best selling single that the Beatles actually ever had because of the the sales records from the UK. It was the best selling single of the 19th, the entire 1960s in the UK. Um, And then next year, of course, uh, the Beatles placed five singles in the top five positions in the American charts, and this is this is one of them. At the
1: same time,
0: and <laughs> the same time, I don't think anybody else has ever done that. No. And from week to week, they weren't always in the same order, but uh, yeah, they had five five tunes. Huh. And o- overall, Rolling Stone ranked it sixty four out of the five hundred greatest songs of all time. So so even the Beatles, you know, largest selling single in the UK, only comes out number sixty four on the 500 greatest songs of all time, according to Rolling Stone, right. anyway. And then, of course... So there's... Yeah,
1: go, go ahead and talk about the whole... Well, I mean, because... The way the song uh, is constructed. Right, I mean, you know, because me being younger and you were younger, too, I mean, pe- people know, yeah, 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 but, you know, I mean, what... You know, what, what is the song about? Well, it, it, it's interesting that it was written... The, the song's not about the singer loving someone it's about the singer consoling a friend who thinks he's lost his love but i saw her yesterday it's you she's thinking of and she told me what to say she says she loves you so it's written uh, in the second person not the first person and you know that's really interesting how the
0: beatles always had sort of a twist on things even even the, the way the song ends with that weird minor sixth chord Um, George Martin wasn't even sure that They should do that he thought that was kind of hokey That that whole that whole Chord that they they open the song with It at the very beginning and then uh, And then it ends that way with with um, You know I've I've covered the song before In a band and it is Interesting to get that harmony You know quite right Right. there because uh, It's it's not what you Expect it to be
1: No it's not Um, traditional
0: Yeah and and so John and John noticed that that's kind of a Paul thing is writing about somebody else and, and what's going on in their life and he creates characters and and uh, John was always more inclined to write about
1: himself right huh <laughs> whereas, whereas Paul would write about somebody else isn't that interesting <laughs> hmm. that's a different discussion <laughs> yeah. but
0: it really uh it really does show a lot of John's John re- was really influenced by Elvis as well. So, and you can, you can tell where some of those phrases come from. You know, the whole, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: With, with Elvis doing all shook up. Right. with the- Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so, then there's that, you know, what, what became the iconic Beatles, uh, you know, their harmonies, you know, in the woos were inspired by the Isley brothers, you know, twist and shout, which the Beatles did themselves. I mean, that's where they got that that harmony right
0: they were you know, they were
1: too. stealing shamelessly
0: <laughs> which is where <laughs> which is where genius comes from you know there's nothing new under this no no so. no
1: you steal somebody um, else's idea that's that's it
0: well and then the the Beatles sort of ripped it off themselves you know they, they came back later on and and uh you know all you need is love of course has has a quote from uh you know She loves you in it, you know, she loves you, yeah, 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 during the the fade out at the end. So what I found fascinating about this is that, so the song is huge in 1963 and 64 for the Beatles. They're playing it during their touring appearances. And then all of a sudden in 1965, 66, they're not. I mean, that's how quickly the Beatles evolved that you know this early yeah 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 sound in, in in Europe and places they were sometimes called the yeah yeahs wow. by by uh, people who just recognize that you know iconic sound so much and um so you know even their final performances all the way up through Candlestick Park they the last couple of years that they were touring live they didn't play it wow yeah and the song was 2 years old 3 years old yes yeah. <laughs> Well, it this whole timeline thing of, you know, the uh, Beatlemania is, is huge in Britain in sixty three, sixty-four, they come to America, sixty-five, by the end of sixty six, bam, that's it. We don't play live anymore. Yeah, they were they were done. You know? Playing live. <laughs> and not, not only that, but by nineteen sixty nine, three years later, John says he's leaving the group. Right. So you you have about a six year period that you know all of Beatlemania, the Beatles were together before that had played lots and lots of shows, but they weren't they weren't huge, they weren't known yet. But the time period they were known was about six years, and of course you've got somebody like Justin Timberlake,
1: who takes six years off. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was longer than they were. You know, actively. Well look at this you know, Mick and Keith from the Stones would fight, they'd take five years off from each other. Right, exactly. So
0: yeah, all of Mania occurs during a Justin Timberlake break. You know. So
1: uh, (laughs) Right. Well yeah, and I think you know, now you have bands like bands like Kiss are celebrating their fortieth year together and you're going, What is wrong? You know. KISS? (laughs) Really? (laughs) All
0: right, well, we'll be back in a few minutes after this break. Yes, believe it or not, one of the most famous controversial singles of 1963. Animal House. <laughs> and one of the House most recorded songs. Mind. <laughs> Well, even before then, wow. you know, it was a big party song. Oh, and of course, cool. you know, Animal House came out in the 70s, but right. uh, um, that. but they used, this, they used this song to, to sort of, you know
1: break the ice uh, evoke the flavor <laughs> of perfect. the 60s yes yes break the ice and
0: the song has the, the song has such a weird history you know i mean it, it starts out as a, Jama- a jamaican song
1: you know and i didn't and, realize and, that uh, or, or written, written you know look at the lyrics and i'm like wow he's dude's right. selling around the sea <laughs> and if
0: you go back and listen to a couple of the, the first versions of it you know i mean it was written by richard berry was the guy's name and um Oh, what was his? The Pharaohs, Pharaohs. I think, was, was was his band, and and they toured on um, on the West Coast. You know, at, at this time there's a a lot more regional music going on, right. whereas you know we, we don't necessarily have um, such insulated
1: pockets of of, uh, of fans right. and, and and local bands, you know, as yeah. we used to. Not really that. I mean, it, it was the West Coast, but more of the Pacific Northwest. I mean, Portland, you know, and that. You know, that became the the birthplace of the Louie Louie phenomenon in Portland, Oregon. Right, yeah, Portland, Oregon's where Louie Louis as we know
0: it comes right, from. As, as the and because Barry and because Barry and his group went through there and so the Kingsmen go into a little studio and record this. And um we'll talk in a minute too here. Uh Paul Revere and the Raiders go into the same studio and record the song also. So there were competing wow. you know, versions of this this song out at the time. But the, the thing about the whole Kingsman thing is, it's a fifty dollar recording session. Mm-hmm. The guys, the guys split the cost, and they go in and they do it in one take. There you go. And, and um, you know, so you've got two minutes and forty seconds of bliss. And um, the the singer's name was uh, Eli. Eli. Anyway, Eli, uh, yeah. I think it was Joe. Joe. Yeah. But. Um, at one time they talk about, well, we'll just do an instrumental of this. We're just gonna go in and we'll just, you know, do this instrumental. And then they decide, no, we will sing it. But by that time, they had reset the mic singular, the mic in the room. <laughs> one mic. They had one thing. they had pulled it up. They had pulled it up high above above the group. And so he's gotta stand he's gotta stand there with his, you know, looking straight up. <laughs> trying to to strain to sing and you have this this entire sound captured on a single mic in one take wow 2 minutes and 40 seconds although legend has it that the night before at a
1: teen club they had played it for 90 minutes straight there you go one of the first jam bands but way before the grateful dead no. yeah and uh if
0: if you're if you're familiar with the with the, the cadence of the song um the a verse comes in too early, and then he waits for the band to catch up with him. And the drummer sort of vamps a little, uh, a little drum thing in there until everybody catches back up. None of that was intentional, but that's how we hear the song now, and that's when when people cover the song, they tend
1: to do it that way. Yeah, they leave it in there because that's, that's even amazing. even though it was a, it was a mistake, you yeah, know. So that's, that, yep, that that's how things come about is from a mistake. So usually yep yep so you know wonderful errors
0: and and one microphone and th- uh, there is a long history of um the kingsmen still continuing to this day and playing and there there was a, a split and and uh, division about who actually owned the name and at t- one time there were two bands each with original members in it and um and uh, so there was a lot of controversy over that, and but the the band continues to this day with you know in, in one incarnation or no, or another. Sure. But, uh, um, Paul Revere and the Raiders go into the same studio. They are a little bit more polished you know there there you can actually hear their words and their lyrics and well, it went you can straightened you know, up to the microphone <laughs> <laughs> right and you can hear you can hear the various instruments mic'd properly and everything yeah, so uh, um, so and and their version at first has a little bit more traction it's a little bit more popular and then the A&R guy really didn't like rock and roll and he, he <laughs> they didn't find out until years later that he basically just dropped promoting it the, the Paul Revere version. And so the Kingsman version goes on to become, to get some traction and become the better known, you know, of, of the versions that are out there.
1: Well, there you to go. To the
0: point where it becomes an actual classic, you know. Yeah. And it was. Uh, now you've got to, you've, <laughs> you, you, you've got to talk about the controversy around this song. Were you aware of that? No. Beca- I mean, you know. Because, well, I mean, I mean you not, not aware at the time, right, of course, but in aware. the time since then, I've even been aware of that. But, uh, I'm, so go ahead. The, the, F, the FBI, but well, go ahead. The
1: FBI investigated them. Well, yeah, so they because complaints are, well, yeah, for, go ahead for 31 months. Really? <laughs> They're going to investigate them for 31 months due to reports of obscene lyrics. Here we go. You know, here's, but, oh, yeah. but it ended, but ended the investigation without prosecution because they were unable to interpret any of the wording in the record. So there you go. So, but yep, ironically, we, at at it, at fifty four seconds one. into the song, fricking drummers, the drummer loses his stick and he drops it, and he drops the f bomb. So he dropped the stick and the f bomb. But the song itself contains no obscure, obscene lyrics or message. I mean, despite the overactive fantasies of many schoolboys and college students, you know, over the yeah. years. So.
0: Yeah, but if you if you pull it up and you go back and listen to it again, you know, 54 seconds in, you can hear it. Um, <laughs> which is ironic after 31 months of investigation, we can't come up with anything obscene in the song, but we 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 let that pass. Yeah.
1: So.
0: <laughs> and the the lyrics, the lyrics, if you go back and you actually see in the copyright application and stuff for the song, the lyrics are "Louie Louie, oh no, me got to go." I i i i Um, fine little girl waits for me. Catch a ship across the sea. Sail that ship about all alone. Never know if I'll make it home. Um, it's it's very simple and straightforward. Yeah, you know, know, Louie Louie, and of course, there we go. Yeah, um, uh, on that ship, I dream she's there. I smell the rose in her hair, and that that section right there is a section where teenage boys across the land would would imagine all kinds of other things being said there Yep. Um, <laughs> you know. just because they couldn't really hear what was
1: going on right so you make up your, uh. you live in your own fantasy you know um, see and Jamaica, of course, the moon above you know so. yeah just talking about
0: uh, this song sailing around it, this the song and... it, it would it would be um it would be difficult to list everybody who's covered Louie Louie <laughs> yeah. it's 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 easier to come up with a list of people who haven't probably right. tried to cover it um and every garage band in the world you know it's a three chord oh, yeah. mash it up song you know so i know it's one of the first things i ever tried to play right and uh um and it, it will <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more um in the next episode where you ring up the the songs from 1966 because louis Louie actually influenced at least one of the songs that i know that you're going to bring up too so yes. just just the whole cording what right. am my favorites. structure there Yep. Yep. One of the first so, songs I 21. learned out of play. So, yep. so um, believe it or not, here's a piece of trivia for you. Motorhead's first single
1: was Louie Louie. Really? Yep. <laughs> well, that's funny because when you said that the guy was Eli was you know straining up at the mic, I went, "Well, that yep. that's Lemmy." Maybe Motorhead should do it. Yep, they did. Yep. yep, Lemmy Lemmy
0: sang it. It was it was it was Motorhead's actual first single, and and did reasonably well for them too at the time. I wonder
1: how many Motorhead
0: so. fans know that? Maybe they do. Yep. And then Iggy and the Stooges did it, and it was it was a a popular sort of game among musicians to try to come out with. Um, with a version of the song that had the original dirty lyrics in it, even though there weren't any original dirty lyrics. But so, you know, Iggy and the Stooges did a version that was quite risque. That, Of course, there were no risque original lyrics, but they just made stuff up. And oh. I think Iggy, Iggy did a couple of different versions. Oh, of it, yeah. But, uh, so. so Yeah. Well, that is Louie Louie. And uh, we're going to take another short break. We got to go. My baby. I chose this song because of partly because of that iconic drum beat that's in there. Right away, that has you know been been covered on a lot of other things as well. But that that whole wall of sound, uh, classic drum beat going on there, and uh, this song for me, and I, I have a phrase that I use for some songs that it's just pure candy. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, this uh, this song is a piece of pure candy, and I, I love it. And and at various times in musical history, there have been other pieces of pure candy. You know, cheap trick comes to mind, things that are just that power, you know, sugary pop stuff. And yep. and uh, and this song right here, of course, it's credited to the Ronettes. It really is as much as anything as Phil Spector. Yep. And then the whole wall of sound thing, because um, Ronnie Spector is the only one of the Ronettes that's on the on the record. Right. But, uh okay. So, you know, as far as the touring, you know, group that we think of as the Ronettes, it's only Ronnie that's on there. On yeah, the other hand, you've got all kinds of me. other people. Yeah. Well, yeah. But you mean, got, so, you've got other people in the background.
1: Yeah. Darling Love uh, and Sonny and Cher are among the backup vocals. And then uh, among the other uh, many musicians that played on this, Carol Kay. Played bass, and Leon Russell was on the keyboards. How cool is that? You know, and yep. Carol Kay is eighty-one right now, and she's credited credited with over ten thousand session recordings. Yep. Wow. Yes.
0: <laughs> she's still around, and she's uh, Carol. Not only was a you know a very uh, influential session musician, but she was also a teacher, and still, still I believe, in. still is. You know, yeah. has has authored many of. Uh, Many books about, you know, learning the bass and, and playing the bass right. and everything. So, um, and this song went on to become number two on the U.S. Billboard pop single chart and it sold more than two million copies in 1963. That's a lot, and uh, <laughs> it is. And one of the things I love about it is that you can see the influence on people like the Beach Boys, like Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson thought this was the
1: greatest pop record ever made. Well, and probably because of, like you said, you said the wall of sound. I mean, you know, Brian, and we'll, we'll talk about that next time too. You know, the whole Beach Boys sound, and I mean, he, I mean, he was the creator behind that, and I think he was heavily influenced by songs like this, and by Phil Spector, of course. But
0: well, I mean, there are stories of Brian Wilson playing this, playing "Be My Baby" on a nonstop loop. In, the, in, the, <laughs> the, in in the in in the recording studio just trying to get it so into his head and then um which i love because then you listen to some of the uh some of the early beach boys stuff too and you think yeah i can see where that where right. that fits into his whole psychology there you know um and we're going to have to do another show where we pull out some of you know a number of the beach boys things and just talk about again what did oh, they yeah. do in the studio Turn the studio yeah. into another instrument, but um, yeah, just so um, much creative, you know, thinking because he, can, you know, see, I see, I, I can see so much of uh, you know, don't worry, baby coming from Be My Baby, right? Yeah, you know, that whole influence there, but
1: so tell me about the lyrics of this song, Mike. Well, <laughs> this song, <laughs> well, that's funny because I listened to it and So I read my notes, and it says, this song is not about the lyrics. It's about Ronnie's performance in the wall of sound created by Phil Spector. But I would like to say, you know, being young, when I heard this song and I just re-listened to it, is every guy would love to hear this when when, when Ronnie sings, for every kiss you give me, I'll give you three. That's a dedicated woman, (laughs) right? Think about that. I kiss you once, she kisses me three times? I'll take that deal all day long, you know? But um, and that's about as deep as it gets. Well, that is about as deep as it gets. But you know, when you're a teenage boy, who cares? So, but it it really is about you know Ronnie and you know and and, and what Phil cr- you know created and so there you go. It's not about the lyrics. <laughs> certainly had an impact on Eddie Money. I uh, love that song. Be my little baby. You know, and, and, and he had Ronnie sing it and she's, you know, I mean, and even then right, when, right. you know, we were still, so what was it, what was that song? What was that song uh, called? Take Me Home Tonight, nineteen eighty. You know, so we were still, I was still a teenager and I mean, yeah, I mean, she came on there. I thought that was sexy and I thought that was, oh yeah, I was a big Eddie Money fan too. And I thought that was, you know, one of the first duets. on am like, that's sexy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: one of the uh, BMI executives, you know, who keep and BMI and ASCAP, of course, <laughs> keep track of how often things are played. And, oh, yes. Because they're, they're the money people. Yes, they are. Um, you know, they make sure that everybody gets their royalties and everything. But he it's all about estimated me. that this, this song was probably since 1963 has been played in 3.9 million feature presentations. And by that, they mean, you know, it's played as part of a soundtrack somewhere. It's played on a jukebox. It's right. played It's played someplace where royalties
1: have to be paid out of it. And, then, and uh, do the math. That's the equivalent that's the, of 17 years back to back. <laughs> <laughs> Who has time to figure this stuff out? <laughs> the BMI Speaking, of <laughs> Speaking of time.
0: Speaking of time. We're uh we're about out of it. So we're going to take one more break and come back with a couple of pieces of trivia and we're going to get out of here. <laughs> Well, I do have a couple of pieces of trivia for you.
1: Here we go. Yep.
0: Well, you know, Dad Dad suggested that we should do something with the American Graffiti soundtrack. And I think probably yeah. that's that's another show. But, you know, Louie um, Louie was in the American Graffiti movie. It just didn't make the soundtrack record. Wow. There's, there's 40, 41 songs on the soundtrack record. And Louie Louie is not on there. And the version that's in the movie is not the Kingsman version. It was actually done by a group that uh, still is around today in one incarnation or another. Um, But can you name the group that supplied a couple of songs, two or three songs, to the soundtrack for American Graffiti, including performing Louie Louie in the movie?
1: Of course. Everybody knows it's Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids.
0: Exactly, <laughs> but they're also they're also in the
1: movie as characters. And and they're not called Flash Cadillac and the Continental no, Kids for, in the movie. So for some reason, you know, maybe that was too forward. So let's call them Herbie and the Heartbeats. There you go. Right, and you know, it's been so long since I've seen American Graffiti that
0: I had to go back and look at some some clips to remember that. That oh yeah. What? So on because I remember, you know. Mom and Dad played the, the soundtrack album an awful lot. Oh, wow. And I always look, always look through uh, liner notes and, and lyrics and, and uh, credits and everything. Sure. So, I, you know, Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, I was very familiar with, with that name in there. But I, I just it had been so long since I saw the movie, I forgot that they were called Herbie and the Heartbeats in there. Me too. But, and they did Louie Louie, but Louie Louie does not make the, the soundtrack. Uh, but hmm. the big song that they did get on the soundtrack was their version of... At the Hop. Wow. So so when you listen to At the Hop on the American Graffiti soundtrack, it's actually done by Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, and it's it's not even the original version of that song, which was what, Danny and the Juniors? Danny and the
1: Juniors. Yeah. So, all right, well, you getting your notes together for the next episode? I'm getting my notes together for nineteen sixty six kids, and it's gonna be a good and so they're all good. So <laughs> All right, <laughs> this is going to be we're going to especially good. There you go. <laughs> all right, well, we'll be
0: back soon in Internet time. And if we get enough episodes, you know, it's it's like Netflix; you can just binge That's on right. all the
1: episodes. If you ever have any we questions on our content, you can always go to Wikipedia. You can go to Song Facts. You can well the entire Internet. But also, please, if you enjoy this, any you enough know people that'll enjoy it, songsyoushouldknow.com. dot com. That's yep. a shameless .com. plug. There's a way right to, there,
0: <laughs> there's, and there's a way to contact us uh, at that, that web address there too. If you have any suggestions, questions, comments, punchlines, whatever, <laughs> yeah. so
1: be kind. Yeah, be kind. Yeah. Any. Uh, <laughs> All right. Any legal issues? <laughs> just refer to my lawyer. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Be good, kids.